0: This is TLDR Podcast, where we talk sports, MLBs, NHLs, NBAs, pop culture, and nobody
1: understands Westworld, and more, top 10 alcoholic beverages, with your hosts, Alex, yeah boy, Eric, yo,
2: James,
3: the San Francisco 49ers, best team in the league,
2: Traded. Right oh, to the, sit down bud, and Tyler, oh damn where we do the research and trash-talking for you. What kind of cockamamie bullshit is Adam Silver <laughs> thinking? They're playing super hot right now, and they're... It's in the not focus. finishing. It's the middle of the season. I understand that, but I'm saying that they're, they're moving towards that. Welcome to TLDR Podcast, presented by Anchor.
4: Everybody, and welcome to TLDR Podcast. Uh, episode 68. I wish I was hosting next weekend because you know why, but we are on episode 68 right now. Ah. Um, ha, you got that one, Traden. It's a little late. Um Thinker. I am Officially changing my team name in fantasy football to fuck fantasy because I am now oh, and I will be oh and five unless blank and ship gets like 20 more points tonight for the Colts. Um, You know, I current grudges have been formed. Miles Sanders, AJ Brown, they are now on the grudge list for me. Um, It only took five weeks. But uh, James, how you doing? I saw you yesterday.
1: I'm good,
3: man. I'm tired. Work is still super tough, but uh, you guys are all watching baseball. I'm watching football, and this game for football, I know it's pretty intense. Ravens were up big, or Ravens were down big to the Colts. Now they're going to overtime. So Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews making some magic. It's good, makes me not as tired anymore.
4: Nice, gain energy from the game that is at stake in front of you. Um, Alex, how you doing, man? How is life treating you? And you are currently watching your baseball team in the playoffs, so life is hopefully
1: good. Yeah, this is the first game of the series. I've been able to, like, sit down and actually watch the whole thing. Um, You know, we're down 1-0 right now, but Dodgers, you know, hopefully perform some magic coming up here pretty soon. Uh, Other than that, I'm also pretty sleepy. Uh, But I took a nap today, so that was clutch. Uh, But other than that, I'm great.
4: Nice man yeah I mean fall season is amongst us we are everyone's tired from working a bunch and uh, baseball playoffs are going. Tyler I saw you last night you scored a goal in the last like 20 seconds of the game to pad your stats you son of a bitch. Um, Good job how are you doing?
2: Yeah I had to you know uh, two games in the season two goals so not a big deal yeah not a big deal. Uh, yeah, no, do, do, doing well. Uh, I also had today off, so had a nice relaxing day. Went on a little hike, got some pizza and beer, came home watching baseball. So it's been a good day. Uh, been a good week. Obviously, we're in the thick of things with postseason baseball. So we'll talk more about that later. But October is such a fun sports month. I love it. Yep, yeah,
4: thick season. Um, Trading. last but not least, uh, you set me up for two Two different chances of score last night and I didn't score. I blew my, my load in the first game, but, uh, I saw you yesterday. How you doing? I'm good.
0: Um, is a big day for the NHL. Um, it's a double header on ESPN. So we'll see how ESPN takes having the, uh, the NHL back for the first time in over 20 years. Um, I'm pretty excited for that. Baseball is really good. Today's been pretty crazy. Um, my boy just is coming in to uh to relieve Alex Wood, which is ex- which is exciting. So go Tyler Rogers, love watching you pitch. Um, but yeah, everything's
4: good, man. Yeah, that's good. Good to hear. Um, funny quick story. Uh, you guys would probably all appreciate it. I was in Chico one of the years the Giants won the World Series, and it was their first game against uh the Royals, I believe. And in that same night was the uh, puck drop of the NHL for the season. It was King Sharks first game of the season and uh, I went to the Banshee and every TV had that Giants game on. It was their first game of the World Series. I'm like, can we just change this one over here to uh, King Sharks? You know, and then like uh, some guy came in. He was furious. Like, what is this hockey on the TV right now? Like it's <laughs> fucking World Series Giants baseball. I'm like, yeah, but it's King Sharks game one Giants in a World Series. No one cares. So, yeah, there's, there's my Yeah, story. I think you're losing
0: that one. Like, 10 times out of 10. Yeah,
4: everyone actually was heated at me, but I thought it was funny. <laughs> um anyways, yeah. So uh we got it, we got a lot of good stuff for you guys this week. Um when we return, trading is going to get into the holy puck moments. Um, and you know, as we just said, we got puck drop coming tomorrow for you guys at the NHL season. So we'll talk to you guys when we get back. Holy I mean, holy puck. We are back, everybody. Um Traden is gonna get right into the holy puck moments uh for the NHL, which begins tomorrow.
0: Right yes, here. sir. Um this, so this is a new series for me. Um as uh as um, um Jesus Christ. As Eric uh, brought in, Holy Puck Moments is here to stay and here to here to go uh for week one of the NHL season. Um tomorrow we we see a puck trap um for a double header on ESPN for the first time in a very very long time um,
3: so,
0: yes so that's extremely exciting um even just watching the, the listening to the intro music for for the NHL and ESPN is something that is it, it just gives me chills um anyway we're just gonna get into to some hot button um, news around the league um so this this first one we're going to talk about did happen. Probably we could have talked about it last week, but you know, considering we were dealing with the uh, divisional breakdowns, I had to push it to this week. But uh, Robin Leonard came out to speak about uh, malpractice by um, the medical teams in the NHL. Um, not just, I don't, it doesn't seem like it was necessarily towards the Vegas Golden Knights in particular, but it was kind of overarching. And he actually called out a couple coaches, including, including Elaine Vigneault of the, uh, of the Philadelphia Flyers. Interestingly enough, Um, and he just came out saying, you know, teams have a tendency to give, you know, painkillers off to, you know, to players and just letting them, you know, deal with their deal with their issues. Um, on top of that, he did have some, some, I guess, had an opinion towards the Jack Eichel incident considering Jack Eichel is in a, is in a battle between a surgery that he wants to get and a surgery that his team wants to get. Um, the CBA protects the teams more than it probably probably should admittedly um but Alex you know this has been an interesting story and yeah and Robin Leonard actually did end up going and having a chat with the NHL and it seemed like it was pretty good but um first of all what do you what do you have to say about these kind of accusations like does it do you have an opinion about them does it kind of bring something up that it, it does it intrigue you in any way and do you think this is going to be a distraction for for Robin Leonard and the Vegas Golden Knights for you know at least to the start of this season
1: I mean, it's definitely an interesting story. Who knows? I would assume there's at least some, you know, facts about this story out there. You know, I don't know. Obviously none of us really know what Robin Leonard is, if this claiming is 100% true or not, it wouldn't surprise me all that much. I mean, obviously there's a lot of money in professional sports, giving painkillers to your players, maybe help them play win. you know, playoff shares, advertising money, all that stuff. So it's, It wouldn't surprise me. It's a little disappointing if that is true. Um, Obviously hockey is a very dangerous sport and there's been a, you know, within the last 15 years, a lot of change in the game to help protect players safety definitely than there was before. So this is a little disappointing, I guess, if this is coming out um, because, you know, just giving players painkillers just when they're sore or hurting maybe isn't the best idea ever, you know, depending on what those painkillers are and what the specific injury is. Um, as, you know, as for a dis- distraction, Robin Leonard's always been a pretty outspoken guy. Um, he's already been a distraction like with this Vegas team with, you know, his kind of like not really battle with Flurry, but whether he should be starting, whether he shouldn't. I mean, I don't know, Vegas is a weird town, like it probably would be a bigger distraction if it was like toronto or montreal or somewhere but vegas i kind of feel like it will it might die down a little quicker but i mean who knows it could he could have lost trust of his teammates or the coaching staff or the front office and that could be super detrimental because i mean obviously the knights are kind of banking on leonard being a star when they let flurry you know pretty much traded him for nothing so I don't, I don't think it will end up being too much of a distraction, but it definitely could.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a, it, it, it it's kind of a double-edged sword. I mean, I, I, I understand exactly where Robin Leonard is coming from bringing up these accusations, whether, whether or not he did it in the correct way, we can argue any day of the week, but at the end of the day, you know, this is what, this is what he quoted was quoted saying. It's not easy to do this, but I had a great talk with the NHL and the NHLPA over the last day I'm excited for the potential change to be made and uh, to made to protect the younger generation. This is something I've been advoca- advocating for for years and I'm encouraged about their approach that they want to take. So this is, I mean, he, clearly he got his message through and that's good um, to, to Alex, to your point, and hopefully it dies down and, and, and you know, I guess, depending on if you're a Vegas fan or not, hoping it dies down or it doesn't. Um, but all in all, it is very interesting and it actually does tie right into our, our next discussion, which, um, which kind of shocked the NHL world, and especially the Montreal Canadiens world, Carey Price checked himself into the NHL player assistance program. Um, we don't really, I mean, I guess I haven't really seen any poignant reason why yet, but presumably, you know, um, from, from a go- former goalie coach of his, who, you know, was very close to him. He says that it, it has to do with, you know, Carrie Price being very much about other people over himself to to his detriment, you know, his family, his teammates uh, and the franchise of the Habs, which is arguably, if not actually, I wouldn't even argue, is probably the hardest organization to play for at this point. Um, You know, he went through a very fast um, Stanley Cup final loss. He had knee surgery, but James... You're, you've been kind of a huge, um, you know, huge Carey Price fan and a, and a and re- relatively huge, um, not huge, but, huge, uh, you know, relatively big Canadians fans, Canadians fan, you know, since we kind of started this podcast. And I just want kind of your thoughts on the story. And, and I'll ask you a, a separate question after that. That doesn't have to do with the immediate story, I guess.
3: I think that him doing this and checking himself into the player assistance program is important for the NHL and the world to see. I think it really um, takes apart the whole toxic masculinity aspect of this and how men um, can't be vulnerable and ask for help. Because, I mean, right now in sports, just like the painkillers thing, men are expected to go throughout their career and play and not ask for help and just do whatever they can to grind it out and show out and do the best they can. But that's simply not the case anymore. Whether it be the pressures given to you by the fans, your family, the coaching staff, your teammates – or the aches and pains that you go through on a day-to-day basis in the grind. Toxic masculinity shouldn't be a thing anymore. And Carey Price, who is asking for help is going and doing that right now. And it's showing the world that that's okay to do. And it's, it's huge coming from a guy like him, like Carey Price is the face of the franchise in Montreal Canadians, which is one of the biggest NHL teams ever because it was part of the original six. Like this is the, one of the teams to go to, to go play for it's historic. He's the face of that franchise. He's asking for help. Carrie Price. When you see him, when you watch him playing games, you see him yelling at his teammates because he expects better. He's not a soft dude. Nobody would ever label label Carey Price as soft. He's the kind of guy who wants to be out there, hit with the puck sixty times a night because it makes him better. And he's the guy right now who's asking for help. That speaks leaps and bounds for how far the NHL and men have come. I mean, this is this is huge. People may think he's weak for doing so. I don't. I I don't at all. I think that's a strong as you can be it's much like therapy when you need it like on a date for anybody else it has this bad um connotation to it that therapy is bad for you but no you're really strong for asking for help we can't do this alone life is hard this game is hard everything you do in life is difficult and everybody can ask for help every once in a while and carry price is doing it and making it seem like it's okay and i love that and i love what his wife came out and said on social media too he's gone through a lot of struggles. He's doing his best. He's doing his best to support his family. It's not just for him that he's checking himself in this player assistant program. It's for his family. It's for his teammates. It's for the betterment of humanity. Like as small as this is, it's a microcosm of our life. Asking for help is okay. And it makes that okay to be.
0: I, I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with you here. Um, what, What probably makes this even more. And I guess you kind of alluded to it was this isn't a, now, no no offense given to these types of players, but this isn't a, a fourth line grinder. This isn't a uh, this isn't an AHL player who's not you know maybe in the in the spotlight um, you know every single game. This is Carey Price, one of if not the best goaltenders in recent, I guess, in re- relatively recent history. Plays for the Mo- Montreal Canadiens, who are the most historic franchise in the NHL history. They're like the Yankees of the of the of the NHL, right? Um, and I think that that speaks more volumes than anything. And, and I, you know, I, 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 I you know, our thoughts and our prayers are with Carey Price at this point, and we hope that he can get the assistance that, that he needs. Uh, it's a minimum of 30 days. So, um, it, but it seems like it's sounding like he, they're expecting to him to be back before the turn of the year. So we should see him back, you know, before 2022, but again, these things take time and we don't really, we don't really know and we would never want him to rush anything that he, that, that something like this. So um, we, you I know, I, I think I speak on behalf of everyone um, and James kind of alluded to it. You know, we, you know, we, we find it very brave with Price prices, what Kerry price has done. And I think that it really opens up the doors for younger players in this game. Um, kind of what Robin Leonard has been kind of, you know, advocating for. Carrie Price did it in a different way um, and showed the world that, you know, doesn't matter how big you are or how strong you think you are, you everyone still may need help, but um, separately. And now we don't want to, you know, diminish this whole story though. There is a hockey situation that, that is coming. You know, they did lose their, their starting, starting goaltender. So James, do, do how do you think that Habs will manage this? Do you think they're going to be okay for the next few months? Um, or, you know, it could be the whole season. Do you think they're going to be okay? Do you rely on Jake Allen? What's your thoughts?
3: I think they'll be okay. Um, I don't think they'll be as good as they would be with Carey Price, but I think that Jake Allen is a good little stopgap to stop the bleeding at this point in time. I mean, let's not forget that four or five years ago, Jake Allen was a starting goaltender with the Blues, and he did relatively well. And in recent memory, like, this last year in Montreal, he had kind of a down year by his standards. His uh, save percentage was point zero nine seven or zero, point nine zero seven. And his goal against goals against average was two point six eight, which is higher than what his average is for his entire career. But that can be attributed to being in a new team. He was with St. Louis for so long. And now for the first time in his career, he's with the Canadians. A new group of people, a new goal, to, goal c- coach, and I mean they did fire their coach midway right through the season. There's a whole lot of turmoil in that scenario with the Canadians. And he did his best. He managed his best. Carey Price, like I said earlier, he's the kind of guy who gets better with the amount of playing time that he gets given. And so towards the end there, it was the Carey Price show. Jake Allen didn't make, didn't spend one second on the ice towards the end of the season and during the playoffs. It was all Carey Price. That gives Jake Allen a lot of time to rest up, get ready for this season. So I think in a way, Carey Price taking all those reps towards the end of the season is going to be helpful for Jake Allen and the Canadians coming into this new season without Carey Price?
0: Well, yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think they're going to be fine. I, I don't think I, it is a huge loss. And, I, and I, I just hope the team is able to manage it from an emotional level because th- these types of things can impact your play. Um, but if anything, they may they may step up to the occasion and say, hey, we need to play for our goaltender who, who, who did something for himself for once. <laughs> um, so, uh, but thank you, James, our resident Habs fan. Um, well, kind of. <laughs> I always enjoy it. Um, Third thing I want to talk about has to do with ESPN and TNT, you know, finally taking over the reins um, of broadcasting this great sport. We love John Tortorella is taking a seat as an analyst at ESPN among others. And Wayne Gretzky is taking a seat at TNT going to be kind of that, uh, the Shaq position, you know, where Shaq sits with TNT. He's going to be that kind of analyst kind of over overall for the entire league. Um, Eric, you 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 wanted to talk about this so how do you think these guys are going to fare in their new roles
4: yeah john tortorella is going to be great um he was probably the best media coach we ever saw just how worked up he would get um when someone would ask a stupid question which seems to be every single time he talked with the media um And it was the best he would just get up and walk away when he didn't want to answer a question. I guess he can't really do that anymore (laughs) in this role. However, it would be hilarious if he just got up and walked away from somebody if he was all heated. But, you know, he used to call out his players. He used to call out players on the opposing team. He even tried to go to the Flames locker room one season and fight the coach in the hallway. So he's got a fire under him. And I think he's going to be great for that TNT lineup um yeah i think john torrell is going to do a good job that's what say real fast there
3: real, real,
4: yeah. real fast guys i know alex
3: watches uh ted lasso did anybody else watch ted lasso here no but this torrell becoming a broadcaster reminds me a lot of Roy Kent going into his pundit role as a soccer pundit because that that's hilarious you guys need to watch it and anybody who's listening needs to watch ted lasso because this situation fits it entirely alex do you agree
1: I do agree. It seems like a disaster just waiting to happen at some point, <laughs> which is just awesome. Uh,
0: before I talk, before I ch- chime in about uh, torts, uh, did you have a thought on Wayne Gretzky?
4: Yeah, yeah. So Wayne's going to be interesting. I mean, the great one, the go of hockey, will be sitting in front of us on a live TV broadcast, you know, often moving forward. Um, you know, it's like, I feel like especially for us you know we were we were extremely young during his his reign and his time of being great so you know now this is like a glimpse to see his other side uh see like how he is when he talks about the game um and and i feel like you know you just don't see as much or hear about him um as often anymore like obviously about all his records and things but now to just see him live in front of us it's going to be cool um, he's just seeing him paired up with the dude like Tortorella is just going to be a funny combo. I think they're two different style guys, so I think uh, I think Wayne's going to be just an interesting but uh, good good scenario for this.
0: Yeah, see, I, I look as an oiler fan, I actually see a lot of Wayne Gretzky a lot more than you guys would, just because he was involved with the team, um, you know, quite quite often, quite you know, con- um, consistently. But his move to TNT is quite interesting. I mean, he's a lead studio analyst here. And it, look, he's the nicest guy ever. He's the most genuine hockey player to ever walk the, planet, walk the earth, besides maybe um, Mario Lemieux. I just don't know if he's going to be right for it, guys. Like, I don't know if he's going to have enough oomph, like – like where he can actually call out a team. I just don't know if he had, if he's going to be able to do that. I hope he can. I, I just, I don't think the guy could hurt a fly. I <laughs> the guy is like the nicest guy ever. So I do worry about that. Um, and unfortunately, and pro- unfortunately for him, I, I look at who all of these studio personalities are going up against and they're going up in terms of, you know, the sport equivalent, which would be, you know, your Charles Barkley and your Shaq on the other side. And those two guys absolutely kill it on that, on that broadcast Like, I love it. I hate basketball. And I love watching those two guys talk. They're bantering and they talk shit on the other team on teams and players. I absolutely love it. I just hope that Wayne finds a way to do so. Um, Just just really quick. I'll tell you guys who who's going to be part of that, um, you know, part of those um, studio analysts, you know, rosters. We have Liam McHugh. He came from NBC. Wayne Gretzky, obviously. Anson Carter's coming from NBC. Rick Tockett um is a very he's the kind of player that uh that I would love that I'm going to love to see um you know up on that analyst uh, stage and then Paul Bissonnette, we love him cuz he's uh he's a he's our guy from uh, uh spit and chickles podcast hilarious guy um and then pretty much the entire NBC lineup is coming over to do color or other analyst uh on, other analyst work so that's great um on ESPN we have Mark Messier um we have Mark Messi as an analyst, which is, I think that that's one of the biggest regrets they could get. Uh, Barry Melrose, obviously, Rick DiPietro, among others. Um, so it, I think the lineup that they have between ESPN and TNT is is excellent. Um, and Eric, were there any any guys that kind of
4: intrigued you besides those two? Um, yeah, I mean, Bissonette will be good because he's, you know... With all those other other people involved, Bissonnette's kind of like that goon-style player, um, you know, was always on the fourth line in, in his NHL career, but he has a lot of good stories and insights, so he's just going to be a good personality, I think, mixed in with everybody. It seems kind of like, you know, the NBA with TNT, they do one of the best jobs, you know, with Barkley and Shaq and all the different personalities, so I I hope Bissonnette can kind of contribute to that and get the NHL and TNT up to par with that. For sure,
0: we all need a class clown, and Paul and it fits the fits the money perfect there. Yeah. Um, finally, to round it out with holy puck moments, um, this is actually kind of a, an old story, but we are about to hit the hit the season, so it, we might as well talk about it. Um, October already has a higher scoring clip. Um, then, t- your typical year, simply because teams are just kind of getting to the groove of things, coaches haven't established their defenses. Um, the scoring just kind of opens up in October and it's just statistically the case. Um, but Tyler, we do know that the NHL is cracking down on, on an already written rule of cross-checking. Um, there is a, there is a video out there. I don't know if you were able to see it, that kind of outlaid what is now going to be called and what obviously should have been called in the past. With the idea of increasing power plays, increasing scoring, and decreasing um, the amount of injuries, um, you know that that we see. So anything that exerts any type, mean, any type of force with your with the stick is going to be, you know, called instantly. Even though it's really, it's always been very very subjective. Something that a lot of newcomers to this game question me all the time about. Um, including Kylie. <laughs> she is the biggest proponent for this. So I'll tell you that. Um, how do you think this is going to impo- impact the game? Do you think it's going to impact the, the beginning of it as we try to you know, figure things out? And do you think it's going to sustain or do you think we're going to kind of figure it out and everything's going to be back to normal in terms of the amount of power plays and goals that we're going to get?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think obviously I think it's good that they're cracking down on this rule. Um, it's uh, It's been a written rule for forever. They just never really ever really enforced it kind of Similar to the, to the, the discussion of four and on a baseball that we talked about earlier, it's always been illegal, but they never really actually did anything about it until recently. So it's kind of a similar situation with, with, with cross-checking. And I, I know watching hockey and I see the replays of battles in front of the net, how much cross-checking actually happens, you know, and there's always like, sometimes they call it, but it's a very rarely ever called penalty. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how often they do call it. Apparently it's going to be quite a bit and they'll in the first month or so there's probably going to be a shitload of cross-checking penalties called because the longest time players were able to kind of get away with this penalty. And now if they're going to do it correctly, if NHL does do it correctly, it's going to be a lot. So there's going to be a lot more uh, power plays. Um, So I think goals are going to definitely increase even more than they already do, obviously, because we'll have more power plays due to the the more penalties. And I think also, you know, players are going to adjust eventually to the new rule. They're going to cross-check less. They're going to play more by the rules. So that's going to eventually kind of even out. But I also think that once that evens out, you know, it's going to be a little bit easier to score goals in front of the net um, because the cross checking kind of eliminates that uh, physicality that makes it almost impossible to be on your feet to be able to get your stick down and score on a rebound or a tip or whatever. So I think it's going to be good for the game. Um, Like I said, the rules are new that they're just enforcing it. Uh, there there's going to be that kind of period of time where it takes an adjustment by the players and the coaches and, and the refs to kind of figure it all out. Um, so, and during that time, there's going to be a lot of people talking shit about it. Probably a lot of people are, that are going to be complaining about the, the, the rule change, but that happens anytime there's a big change in any sport ever. So you just kind of got to get through that kind of uh, that, that grace period uh, so to speak, and players will adjust, you know, you, you like if the rest enforce the rule and they're consistent players will adjust their game and eventually things will even out. Um, but I do think it's a good thing for the game. Um, I think it'll decrease injuries. I think that's the the biggest thing here, um, and I, it'll it'll increase scoring for sure. For like I said, those two reasons mainly because the power plays will go up, and two, it's going to be a little bit easier for guys to uh, get a better better handle of the of what's going on in front of the net. So um, I think it's to be good.
0: For sure, um, I think I think you're you're. This is a this is definitely the the NHL's way of protecting their stars because their stars are typically the ones that are put in these positions. Um, look, it's going to change. It's going to change how you defend someone. And I think that's the biggest question. Are you going to have two hands on your stick at all times? Or are you going to have to take your one, one hand off? And it's a different type of game when you do that. Um, and adjusting to that is, it is going to be interesting. But I think these guys, apparently these guys have already been been practicing it. Uh, if you listen to some of the, uh, some of the news. And some of the rumors that they're already, they've been practicing in this for a long time. They've also been already practicing power plays like weeks ahead of normally of normal time, simply because they expect so many, so many of them. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm, I'm hoping it does. I, I'm hoping it doesn't make it so that we're, we see power play for 20 for 60 straight minutes, but I do hope that, you know, we do see a little bit of more open ice um, in terms of, in terms of the game it's speed it up a little bit. It gets people engaged and um I guess the biggest thing is, are they going to keep it for the playoffs? But that remains to be seen every year. Holy puck. That's all I got.
4: <laughs> ben, thank you. Um, for bringing up those topics to their, you know, they're harder topics to discuss, but it's good that we, uh, we mention them on this podcast and, you know, throw in our two cents with it as well. Um, now, you know, we got the season starts tomorrow, so we're gonna have a lot more hockey to talk about everybody. Um, We're going to take a break and when we come back, we got Alex and he's talking the NBA startup, which will also be, you know, our next season starting soon. Hello, everybody. We have returned. We have Alex, our NBA guy, and we're continuing to go over the NBA startup because the season is right around the corner. Right, Alex?
1: Yeah, uh, next week or, you know, next after hockey. So we're getting pretty close here. Uh, We're finishing out with the top eight teams in the Western Conference. Uh, Let's just get into it. So starting at number eight, um, they technically finished below this, but because of the play in. That's where their seating ended up. Uh, The Memphis Grizzlies at 38 and 34. uh, Out Grayson Allen, Jonas Valanciunas, and Justice Winslow. In Steven Adams, Jarrett Culver, and Chris Dunn. Trade in. The Memphis Grizzlies, uh, kind of an upstart team. Um, You know, they've not been the greatest as of late. They've now got John Morant, you know, one of the young superstars in this league. What do you think um, they can do this year following up, you know, a playoff berth last year?
0: Yeah, um, I, I I really don't know what to expect from this team. I mean, I mean they're very gritty, and they're and they're a team that that is kind of known for that. And, and they just and, and they're always in an underdog position. They're they're an up and coming team. They were just one of those teams, and they were put in a position that, you know, they had to fight an uphill battle to get that eighth seed, and they did it. And that shows that to me. That shows a lot of you know shows a lot of heart and and a, and a, and an ability for a team to come together, which is kind of the the makings of a. a of a team and a culture going forward you just need to get the pieces around that um the question is whether ja morant and the rest of the grizzlies can step you know can take a step forward i mean here's the thing you're in a you're in an incredibly hard conference i mean you're in a very 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 hard conference and if it wasn't for the in my opinion the cockamimi playing tournament you're you're not even making the playoffs here so you know you have a lot of teams that you're gonna have to beat. you have a you have an interesting team, you um, know, and the teams at the bottom that were fighting for the bottom are are getting better too. Um, they 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 um, Eric Bledsoe got traded away, which was which was kind of interesting. Um, they did acquire Jarrett Culver uh, from the Timberwolves. He's a young guy. He could be a guy that they're just gonna that, that they they can groom, and he might be a perfect you know project for this organization, and that that's that's intriguing. But I I just don't know if if they're going to be able to make enough noise. I mean, I think, I guess that's a big question. Are, are they going to make enough noise where they're going to be flirting with a, with a playoff spot? I mean, with the, with the 10 team playoffs, you're going to assume so. Um, but then you got to get through the, you know, the, the play in tournament. And I, I just don't know if they have enough to make a big step, just given the fact that this division is just so hard.
1: Yeah. I feel like they kind of fall into that play in tournament level somewhere between, you know, seven and 10, um, you know, as we know, the playing tournament will happen again this next year. You know, I, I just don't know if they're better than any of the seven teams in front of them. I think the Warriors, you know, definitely seem to be a better, you know, generally a better team than the Grizzlies who finished, you know, technically ninth last year. Um, you never can count out the Spurs. So we'll have to see what happens in Memphis. Um, third year of John Morant, though. So I'm kind of, you know, this might be like a huge, huge step up year for him, even though he's been fantastic so far, but. We could see a big push out of him uh, moving on to, you know, kind of a surprise seven seed, the Los Angeles Lakers finished 42 and 30. Uh, their whole team's different. So give me, give me a second. We'll go through these <laughs> um, out uh, KCP, Alex Caruso, Andre Drummond, Mark Gasol, Montrez, Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, Dennis Schroeder. That's not even everyone in uh, Carmelo, Anthony, Trevor Reza, Kent Bazemore, Wayne Ellington, Dwight Howard back Uh, Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn, Rajon Rondo back, Russell Westbrook. Did you get all that? Cool. (laughs) Uh, The Lakers, Tyler, championship or bust?
2: Yeah, I mean that's what they're going for. I mean uh, uh, LeBron's only got a few more years left. He wants to be as competitive as he can in his final uh, few years here of of his career. As you mentioned, only four players are returning this year from last year's team, which is pretty crazy considering, I mean they didn't have the best season ever, but they were a playoff team and only four players are coming back. Um, and then even only two years, re, 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 re removed from a, from a, a championship. So, um, there's a lot of question marks, I think with this team, because they're all so new. Um, and it's a question of whether this team can gel on the court, right? A lot of people are criticizing that, uh, Westbrook trade is it, People are questioning if that's actually going to fit in their system. Um, they got a lot of guys back. I mean, Howard and, and Rondo are two veteran players that were on that 2020 championship team. They're back. Um, So we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, obviously they're one of the oldest teams I think ever to ever uh, be to, to be an NBA team. So that's going to be a huge concern in terms of, you know, how effective they will be, how healthy they can stay. Uh, My biggest, you know, guy that left that I'm super sad about is uh, Alex Caruso. Um, I think they should have found a way to keep that guy on. Um, Unfortunately he's gone. So like I said, this team's older, obviously a lot of experience. Um, I do think this Lakers team is better than they were last year. Um, is it, uh, it is championship robust. Are they championship level? Maybe this Western conference is super competitive. I think there's a couple of teams that are better than them in this conference. Um, my biggest concern, like I said, is health and how this team is actually going to gel on the court. Um, I think they'll figure it out and they're going to be competitive and they'll, they'll definitely be a favorite to win the conference. Um, but like I said, with just how many new pieces they have, it's really hard to predict how they're going to do, because there's just so many questions on how this team's going to go.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they kind of got off to a slower start. But I think if you look at their roster and assuming health, which is already an issue, Trevor Rees is out for eight weeks. Uh, and one of those returning guys and their youngest guy, Talon Horton Tucker, is having thumb surgery, surgery something with his ligaments. So he's going to be out for a while. So they're already dealing with injuries, obviously, as an older team um, and a team that dealt with a ton of injuries last year. You know, if LeBron James and Anthony Davis get hurt again, they're not going to win. That's just part of the deal. But um, if they stay healthy and if everything goes right, this is, I personally think, the best team in this conference. I don't know if they'll win it all, but they seem to have the most complete team. And, again, any team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis is a title contender. That's just part of the base, you know, fact about this team. So we'll have to see what happens if they're healthy – They should be incredible, but it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of question marks, especially with their age. Definitely. Um, Moving on to the team that finished sixth, also with a 42 and 30 record Portland trailblazers Um, for them out. Carmelo Anthony, Zach Collins, Harry Giles, Derek Jones, Jr. And Enos Cantor in Ben McLemore, Larry Nance, Jr. Dennis Smith, Jr. Tony Snell and Cody Zeller. Dame almost left this post or this uh, off season, there's a lot of, you know, talk about that. There's been rumors of uh, Ben Simmons, CJ McCollum trade. This kind of feels like the last year for this trailblazers team to really like get it going. Um, But traded going back to you again, what, like what do you think is going to go up there going on in Portland this year?
0: Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think the, um, the key is they need to figure out defense Uh defensively. They were, they were ranked 29th in efficiency. You know, they gave up 115.3 points per hundred possessions that, that, that ranked just ahead of the Sacramento Kings. They're great offensively. I mean, they're top five, they're top five offensively in the last three seasons. That's, that's fantastic. But when you can't, when you can't keep it out of your own hoop, you're not, you're not going to do very well. Um, and so, I, I, you know, it looks like it looks like Chauncey Billups is going to say it has said it's not going to be optional for this team to play um, effective defense. Um, and if they figure that out, they're going to they're going to be at least, make, at least making steps in the right direction. Um, all eyes are on uh, Dame Lillard at this point. Who knows what's going to happen? He he did seem like he did want to get a trade, but then he's, it kind of seems like he said, you know, the team, you know, I want to stay here, but the team needs to make the right steps. And it's a part of that is, is the defense needs to figure it out here's the thing again, very similar to my last, uh, to my last team that I talked about, this team seems like they're in that tier that, that seven to that seven to 10 tier. I mean, I don't, you know, because I think that the the six above them are just too good. They're just too, are, are, are just too good for them to, to break through unless they can figure it out defensively. Maybe I'm underrating them, but, um, you know, the, the likes of the Lakers, Suns, jazz nuggets, Clippers, warriors, um, even the, even the Mavericks, I could even see, you know, put, um, being better than the uh the the trailblazers unless they can just figure out their their defense um because no matter how many you know points you can throw up if if, if you can't keep it out you're, you're you're doomed to fail once again so let's see if they're able to fi- figure that out question for you well, what are your confidence levels in
3: chauncey bills being a first-time coach
0: i mean I, not huge considering this team has had such issues gelling on that side i i I, I, to be honest, I don't know much about him. So, but anytime there's a first-time coach, there's always a little bit of a of a, of a learning curve and a, a little bit of a um, uh, a period where you're adjusting. And if the team doesn't buy in, he's going to become ineffective right off the bat. Or at right the bat, it's whether he can. It's whether he can find a way to you know get these guys to buy in. And
3: Alex, question for you. Uh, so Chauncey, but like as Tradin alluded to multiple times, defense is the key to this team right now. Chauncey Bilbs wasn't the best defensive player on his team when he played. It was Rip Hamilton. Do you have any confidence that he can fix that defense?
1: No. I don't think okay. they have. I mean, it. I don't know. It's not really if, if he can do it or not. I just don't think they have the pieces to be that great a defensive team. Dame Lord's never going to be a great defensive guy. CJ McCollum, you know, he, he's not shut down. He's not terrible. And, you know, but, like, I mean – Larry Nance Jr., never been great defensively. Ben McLemore, never been great defensively. Like, they feel like a team that they're going to win a bunch of shootouts. They're going to, you know, it wouldn't surprise me when they score 130. And then if one of those guys have an off night, they score like 92 and lose by 30. Um, I think Australia's Blazers team is going to end up somewhere between the six to nine seed. People always doubt them, and they always end up playing much better than, you know, preseason predictions assume but i don't so don't think they're in that tier of like upper echelon western conference teams and i don't think their defense will be fixed okay no no comments cool all right moving on <laughs> <laughs> uh the dallas mavericks finished in fifth also with a 42 and 30 record um they didn't do a whole bunch this offseason out jj reddick he is retired in reggie bullock and frank nitikina or however the fuck you say his name uh both coming from uh the Knicks, I think, at one point, uh, James. The Dallas Mavericks have superstar Luka Doncic and Tim Hardaway Jr. and Chris Stops. Kind of, uh, they didn't do a whole bunch. They, what do you, what do you think about this Mavericks team?
3: I think the biggest thing that isn't really with the players is more the coaching staff. Jason Kidd is now in as the coach. Riccarlo is out. Jason Kidd, you may remember him from a couple years back as a coach. And for some reason, whenever I think of Jason Kidd as a head coach, I don't think he was that successful. But then I looked back at his stats. He was a coach for four full seasons in the NBA and went to the playoffs three times to those teams. He was also kind of like the, the catalyst to make Giannis the player he is today. He was the one that put Giannis a point guard. Giannis was never a point guard. He was just this tall, lanky dude who was playing power forward. But then Jason Kidd saw something and made him a point guard. And now he's a god. Giannis is that good because Jason Kidd put him in a position to succeed. I think the biggest thing last season that was the downfall for the Dallas Mavericks or the two biggest things is that Rick Carlisle and Luka Doncic did not mix and Luka and Christophe Sorzingis did not mix either. I think Jason Kidd can fix both of those things. Jason Kidd is a Hall of Fame point guard and he's a relatively good coach. He just came off a couple winning seasons with the Lakers. He won a championship with the Lakers as an assistant. He's a Hall of Fame over guy who knows exactly what it takes to be successful in the league as a point guard. So that's what, he, that's what is going to help him and Luca. And the fact that he was a Hall of Fame point guard playing on different teams and winning a bunch means he can manage different personalities and make sure everybody's happy. And that's what he's going to do with, with uh, Luca and Christoph Porzingis. Those are two superstars. I mean, Luca is a superstar. Porzingis is a star. He can make those two mix, and if those two gel together, they're going to be hard to stop. And right now, the way... I know that the way uh, Jason Kidd's offense works, it's more ball movement and finding the open guy and occasionally putting isos on Porzingis and Luca. But And the biggest thing about the Dallas Mavericks, they got some good shooters. Tim Hardaway, Max Kleba, really good three-point shooters, spot-up shooters. And they even improved their defense with the addition of Randy Bullock from the Knicks, who was a key opponent to why their defense was that good. So I think they're going to actually have a pretty decent year this year, better than they did last year.
1: Yeah, watching, especially the playoff series against the Clippers, it was kind of Luca or nothing. You know, a little bit of Tim Hardaway, um, you know, spilled in there. Porzingis was very hit or miss. So I I kind of agree with you. I love the – I'm sad because I didn't want Jason Kidd to leave the Lakers staff because I liked having him there. But I think he'll be a good fit in Dallas. I mean, obviously, it seems to be point guards make good, um, you know, head coaches similar to catchers making good head coach – coaches in baseball they run the offense they help run the defense it's kind of what a coach does you know so like it makes a whole lot of sense um if their defense is still going to be a slight question mark if it's slightly better than it was last year which I'm assuming it will be James then this Mavs team should be better I think there's a decent chance they jump a couple of these teams that finished in front of them in last year's playoff standings um again this like now well now that they have a head coach, this is now year four of Luca, I think. That yeah. seems right. Three or four. Yep. I don't know how much better he could play other than finally winning an MVP. It kind of seems inevitable pretty soon here. Um I think this Mavericks team, this is this is their chance. They I think they need to finish as a top four um in the West. They seem to be on that path. Jason Kidd hopefully should lead them there. Uh, moving on to the Los Angeles Clippers, they finished forty-seven and twenty-five. Um, they did end up making the Western Conference Finals and then lost to the Suns. Um, out is Pat Bev, Boogie Cousins, and Rondo, and then Kawhi for not leaving the team, but he's injured and will be gone for I'd say minimum half the season. In um, Eric Bledsoe, Harry Giles, Justice Winslow, Eric, your Los Angeles Clippers. You know, they've made a Western Conference Finals. I, you know, I think Clippers fans obviously were hoping for a little bit more than that. But with the Kawhi injury, um, that's still a pretty impressive run for them. Um, Kawhi's the best player on that team. There's no doubt about it. He's out for, you know, a portion of this season. And we've seen in the past when he's had long-term injuries, it takes him a while to kind of get back into it. What? Where do you see this Clippers team going and what are some realistic expectations for them?
4: I see them uh, <clears throat> scrounging a playoff spot, maybe like a six or seven seed. Hopefully, you know, they could be in a play-in situation, but hopefully not. Hopefully they're a six seed and scrounge out just before that. Um, you know, not the longest off season for them. Uh, as you mentioned, they went they went deep, but not deep enough. And so it's a shorter off season. Um, the claw will be down and miss most of the season, as you mentioned, too. So I think they lost one core guy in Pat Bev, which scares me slightly, because he was a big locker room guy. He was a big voice, actually, to the team. He held a lot of guys accountable, um, coaches accountable, everybody accountable. Uh, He's gone now. But at the same time, you know, there's always been that issue where they needed a true point guard. So I think Um, they did replace him in the sense where they got Eric Bledsoe coming in, um, a familiar face. He's been there before, but I think, you know, he's built up a lot of experience around the league and he is more of a true point guard defensively. I don't really know what to think about him, but um, I think they will be maybe a little bit better on the offensive side, but you know, for them, realistically, it's look at hopes of making that like five or six seed hoping that Kawhi has a little bit of time to return and kind of get back in the groove of things come playoff time and you'd hope to play, like, a Suns team or a Nuggets possibly um, first round. You know, you don't want to really see the Lakers first or, um, you know, any of those tougher opponents. So, you want to see the Suns first? Yeah, I think the Suns, uh, they got a lot. The Suns were good last year, but every team they played, the, the big dogs were out. You know, Anthony Davis was got hurt. He was out. Kawhi goes down. He's out. Uh, Jamal Murray was out in the Nuggets series. I'm not taking away a lot of credit from him. I'm just saying let's see them face a healthy, full Lakers team or a healthy, full Clippers team. I don't know if they get as far. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, basically what I'm saying is you want you don't want to you probably don't want to see the Warriors first round or the Lakers um, you'd rather take a Suns or a Nuggets. That's kind of where I'm going. So fight for the sixth seed is what I'm saying.
1: I kind of agree with you. Not, I don't think you want to see the Suns. That part I disagree yeah, on. But dumb. I think <laughs> their realistic expectations, I think, and is to avoid the play-in tournament. Um, you know, their defense is going to take a hit without Pat Bev and without Kawhi. Fuck. What a uh, catch! <laughs> <laughs> um without Kawhi and without Pat Bev that's those are their two probably the best defensive players um you know Pat you know Kawhi obviously shuts down um you know usually the other team's best guy so I don't the Clippers the six seed seems like the highest expectation but it wouldn't surprise me if they ended up in that play in tournament I mean losing a guy like Kawhi you saw what happened when the Lakers lost you know AD and LeBron they were the one seed through the beginning of the season and then dropped into the seven seed without those guys so Clippers fans, it might it might be kind of a tough year after you know two years of excellence. So we'll have to see. Um, Moving on to the Denver Nuggets, they finished also forty-seven and twenty-five. They were the three seed out. Javale McGee and Paul Millsap in Jeff Green. They did not do a whole bunch. Uh, Jamal Murray will eventually be back this season, but we'll have you know who knows what level he'll be at. Uh, Eric, we're going back to back. The Denver Nuggets. They have reigning now reigning MVP Nikola Jokic. Um, where where are they end in this season
4: yeah i think they end up kind of where they left off um whenever jamal murray returns obviously will help them um you know they one of their do- big dogs is out in jamal murray he's going to miss time uh jokic is going to have to carry the team again can he do it for another season and not a lot of uh, offseason maneuvers a guy like miles porter junior like He's really, really got – he has stepped up each and every year, but now he really, really needs to step up. Like, he needs to be the next superstar for them. You know, they need another guy like him to rely on. Um, I think he is on the right path, but, you know, this team just needs to be consistent. They go in phases of being uh, pretty good, and then other phases where they're losing to bad teams. Uh, fuck them also. You know, I just have that grudge against them. But um, I do <laughs> – I like Jokic. I like his game. Um, you know, he's he's one of the most versatile bigs out there. Um, I don't know really know how he is defensively, but, you know, he's he's kind of like a Tim Duncan style. He just always keeps scoring, and he can shoot even better. So for them, it's really building up chemistry before the playoffs began, um, and it seems like they didn't do that last year because they got swept by the Nuggets. So they're uh, probably a 5-6 or a play-in. Five, six or a play-in situation is where I see them at.
1: I think this Denver team is still pretty good. Um, I would assume they're gonna be a top four. They kind of seem to be that for the last five years, but haven't really made that deep run in the playoffs yet. Injuries have been a part of that. Um, but you're kind of right. If you know, assuming Jamal Murray comes back and is his former self right away, which is a big ask, uh, Michael Porter Jr. needs to be that third guy, that other big three for them. You know, they signed, they've got Aaron Gordon. He's been fine for them, I guess, but he's not, he's not Michael Porter Jr. He's never had that, you know, top, top level of the draft, you know, like potential. So I, I, you know, I want to see the nuggets go deep. This is, I feel like kind of like you talk about the trailblazers, this sort of feels like one of those last couple of years that they need to really push to go deep into the playoffs um, or they might have to rethink some things. Obviously, a really tough Western Conference, you know, with the Warriors and the Lakers kind of, you know, other than the Suns last year, kind of controlling that. But um, moving on to the Phoenix Suns, who, out of kind of nowhere, finished second in the Western Conference, 51-21, and 21, ended up, you know, making the NBA Finals, uh, eventually losing to the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, out, Torrey Craig and JaVel McGee, Alfred Payton, and Landry Schammett. James, uh, you don't want to meet the Suns in the first round, or do you?
3: Oh, I do not. The Suns scare me. It's like Chris <laughs> Paul effect, man. It's like
4: because like, I'm a Lakers fan. Let's just
3: bet right now. Let's bet right now. What are you betting? Like what, what, what uh, is it? Let what let are the blame about it? <laughs> this
4: dude, this dude's
3: just firing off bullshit over here. But but uh the fact of the matter is the Suns are a good team. The Chris Paul effect. Is ridiculous. It works kind of everywhere, which is insane too. Uh, wherever Chris Paul goes, the team automatically gets better because he's a good leader and he's a good point guard and then probably eventually be a good coach because that's just how the, the world works. The additions that you just mentioned, I the one I love the most is Jail McGee, even though he was on and the Fool for a long time there. Uh DeAndre Ains in the paint doing his thing, but then gets subbed out. And who do you have to replace him? You put in Jay Crowder at center to defend other centers who are seven feet tall, and Jay Crowder is not. That was one of their weaknesses, their, their paint defense whenever DeAndre Aiden went out the game. JaVale McGee's in there now, and he's actually a really good defender. He may not be the smartest guy in the world, but he's a damn good defender gets a lot of blocks and a lot of rebounds. He does the dirty work for you. And then to, to top that off, you add Landry Shammett, who will be a knockdown corner shooter. When Chris Paul drives and Devin Booker gets the ball in the corner and doesn't like a shot, pass it off to Landry Shammett, he'll knock down the three there. And then last but not least, the Alfred Payton signing too. That's huge. Chris Paul is 37 or something. He's older. He's not going to play hundred percent of the games. He'll probably take a couple of games off like Kawhi did last year and a couple of years before that. Alfred Payton will step up and do a good job. He is younger. He is a little bit more athletic and has shown to be able to run any offense proficiently. Not the best, but enough to get it done. Uh, give Chris Paul a little bit more breather to preserve him for that long run because you don't want to be in the first round or the second round or the third round, probably meet him in the finals. So good luck to the East team because the Phoenix Suns are going to be the team to beat this year out of the West.
1: Okay. I don't know if that's a hundred percent true. I'm just, i
3: taking a whole shot of the dark here, man. I was rolling. Yeah. So I just kept going with it.
1: Okay. <laughs> I like that. I mean, good for you. Uh, yeah. I agree with the CP three thing. I mean, it's kind of inevitable that he will, Miss some time, you know, whether it's rest or some slight injury. If he has a substantial injury, the Suns are probably fucked. But Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton are young enough that they can carry that throughout, you know, some CP3 missed time, um, you know, and they've had now a year to learn from him. So, you know, obviously, D-Book is a superstar. We saw DeAndre Ayton kind of come into his own this last year, hoping for more growth from them. Um, but, yeah, this Suns team is a definitely another top contender in this Western Conference. Finishing it out with the Utah Jazz. They finished first in the West with a 52-20 and 20 record. Um, they didn't do a whole bunch, but out Derek Favors in Rudy Gay, Eric Pascal, and Hassan Whiteside. Tyler, is this the year the Utah Jazz finally break through in the Western Conference?
2: I definitely think they have – one of the best shots in that Western conference. I mean, they didn't do much in the offseason, but they didn't really need to, this team's already very good. They, they added a few depth pieces there, as you mentioned, uh, re-signed Mike, Mike, Mike Conley, who, you know, his jazz career didn't get off to a great start, but had a great season last year unfortunately got hurt in the playoffs that kind of contributed to their early exit. Um, but this jazz team is back and they're going to be very, very good. Um, they're going to be, I, I, I think they're my pick to win the, the Western conference. Um, if they can stay healthy, which is the kind of a cliche in basketball, if they can stay healthy, um, I think they have a really great shot. They're one of the most complete teams in that conference. Um, I think they're going to be back, and they're going to be right up, up, up top with the uh, big dogs. Um, will it be the year? It's always hard to say in the West because there's so many great teams, and it's it's so hard to predict who's going to come out of that conference. But I think the Jazz have as good of a shot as anyone. And For, for me, they're, they're my favorite to uh, win the West this season.
1: Yeah, re-signing Mike Conley, you know, another year in that system should be really beneficial to them. You know, Donovan Mitchell has turned into pretty much a guaranteed bucket. Um, uh, what's his fucking name? I can't remember the center's name right now, but he's obviously you go Bear. You go Bear. Thank you. Uh, he is a monster defensively, um, and any offense you get at him is kind of just an added bonus. I expect the Utah Jazz to be good again. You know, they seem to shine bright during the regular season and then kind of burn out pretty quick during the playoffs. So, for Jazz fans, hopefully it's a more, you know, level season, I guess. I don't really know how else to put it. But we'll have to see what happens with the Utah Jazz. I don't know if I'm going to pick them to come out of the Western Conference. But we are going to actually pick our Eastern and Western Conference champions since the season is starting. um, And I won't be here for the next two podcasts. But – so, trade-in. Eastern Conference, Western Conference, NBA champion. Who you got? Um,
0: Bucks on the East, on the West. <clears throat> Excuse me. On the West, I have the Suns. And I actually have the Suns winning this year.
1: Okay, so we got one Suns. Eric, same question.
4: Um, I got the Warriors coming out of the West. Uh, they got Klay Thompson coming back. They've been somewhat of a doormat. They may just have the spunk. I hope it doesn't happen, but I don't know why. I'm just thinking that. And I got the Brooklyn Nets coming out of the East. Um, They were close, but not close enough last year.
3: Does the Kyrie thing worry you at all?
4: What? Does the Kyrie thing worry you at all? Uh, They'll find a way around it. it. It's the NBA. Um, And I want neither team to win, so... uh, Probably the Nets and seven over <laughs> the
1: Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like that. Uh, James, same thing.
3: So, like I was just talking about when I was rolling and wasn't making much sense, I'm going with the Suns to win the West, be in the finals there. And uh, a surprise team that not many people will pick, but I should probably bet on sooner rather than later, is the Chicago Bulls. I think they'll make it out of the East. They're brand-new team. Like, there's a lot of new players there. Nobody's going to really count on them to do much, and they might surprise some people but just like the Suns did last year. The Suns will end up taking it, though.
1: Okay. And Tyler?
2: Yeah, I got Bucks out of the East, and then, as I mentioned earlier, I got Jazz my favorite to win the West. And uh, I'll go with uh, the Bucks going back-to-back NBA championships.
1: Okay. I'm going to go with the Atlanta Hawks coming out of the East I'm going to go out on a limb nice. and I'm going with the Lakers because they're my team and I'm going to be hometown bias and they're going to win. They're going to go, they're going to win and they're going to get a real parade and it's going to be magical. I hope so. Um, but Eric, that is all I've got. So we're, we're done. The season's starting pretty soon. And then, you know, we'll get back to talking about the season as it, as it come, goes along.
4: Thank you, Alex. Um... Yeah, some more good insight and yeah, the season is right around the corner, ladies and gentlemen, just as Alex mentioned, as whenever hockey starts, you know, basketball is about to start right after that. So when we return the MLB playoffs in full effect and Tyler will love to tell you about it when we come back. With health concerns on the rise, it's as important as ever to keep your people safe. Dimer isn't another BS COVID company. They've been developing their tech to kill germs and save lives since 2014. Dimer's original UBC products have won them partnerships with some of the best technology companies in the country and earned them a spot on Time Magazine's best inventions of 2020. Dimer started out disinfecting airplanes. Now they're in hospitals, athletic facilities, hotels, classrooms, basically anywhere people might've been sick. When it comes to keeping your players, employees, guests, and customers in your facility safe, trust Dimer. For TLDR listeners, they are offering free disinfection as a service in select areas. So that means they will come disinfect your facility for free. You can take them up on this offer by visiting dimeruv.com and at DimerUV UV on social media. Use code TLDR for your first disinfection as a service appointment for free. That's dimer, like diner with an M, as in Mike Trout. Ever heard of him? Kill more germs, prevent more infections, save more lives. D-I-M-E-R-U-V dot com. Oh damn,
1: not
4: Holy Puck. But the MLB playoffs.
2: Tyler, let's hear all about them. Yes, sir. The uh, playoffs in full effect. Uh, it's kind of weird how the schedule works. So, we're kind of when we do the podcast on Mondays, we're kind of in between series. So, it's hard to predict the next round or talk about what happened because there's a lot of things going on. But um, <laughs> first, real quick, we'll recap the wild card games that we talked about last week. Uh, Boston pretty much took care of the Yankees easily uh, uh, in, in that wild card game. Um, so they went on to the ALDS against the Rays, and the Dodgers won it off in uh, walk-off fashion against the St. Louis Cardinals. And We finally got that Dodgers-Giants series that we've all been waiting for for so long. Uh, but let's get into the division series that we got going on right now. There is one that has been decided. It was decided earlier today, the Rays and the Red Sox. The Red Sox won the series 3-1. to uh, The Rays won game one, 5 nothing, and after that, the Red Sox took over. Uh, they won 14-5 in game two. Uh, they won six to four in 13 innings in game three in a walk-off by Christian Back, uh, Vasquez. And they won in the bomb in ninth inning tonight as well with the Kike Hernandez sacrifice fly to seal the deal that Red Sox will be going on to the American League Championship Series for 2021, something that I certainly never expected to happen. Uh, so, so congrats to Boston. Um, some interesting notes that happened in the series. Randy Rosarena, uh, I believe, became the second player ever or the first player ever. Uh, to hit a home run and steal home in 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 the uh, same postseason game. So uh, like I said the Rays got off to a fantastic start. After that, it kind of went went all downhill. Uh, in Game Two, uh, the Rays put up five runs in the first inning, including a Brandon uh, low uh, grand slam. What's interesting about that is after he hit that grand slam, he got pulled um, because that's the way the Rays do things and they play these these matchups and all these things. It's it's very interesting to they play a very very interesting game. Um, so, Trayden, uh, you're going to cover this series, first of all. Uh, how surprised are you that the Boston Red Sox won this series? Um, and do you see them as a favorite, or not as a favorite, but as a dark horse candidate to come out as American League champions?
0: I mean, I, I guess I was pretty surprised, mainly because I think the Tampa Bay Rays are, are a great baseball club. That being said, do I, do, do I think that they're a dark horse? Absolutely. Um, this this uh this Red Sox team is nasty, um, and they've been playing nasty baseball through most of September. Uh, that brought, that brought them that brought them into you know getting that first wild card spot. Um, and then so here's how here's how everybody's looking at the Red Sox at this point. They they are the major underdogs in in the in the eyes of the entire baseball media and entire baseball fandom. Oh, they're not gonna make the playoffs. They get a wild card spot. Oh, they're not gonna beat the the Yankees. They beat the Yankees oh, they can't beat the Tampa Bay Rays. They kill the Tampa Bay Rays. Like, when are we going to start saying, hmm, maybe Boston's like not bad? <laughs> so, you know, when you're in a position like this, it's, it's, amazing to, it's amazing to have that feeling because you're just playing baseball and you're loving it. Now, they need to figure one thing out and that's giving up leads. If they continue to give up leads, they're not going to be as lucky as they have been you know, in, in some of these games. I mean, to be honest, the game three was pretty lucky. The fact that it was a, it, that effect that it bounced off the guy and went, went over as a ground rule double. I mean, if that doesn't bounce over, they lose that game. <laughs> I mean, that's, it's that simple. Um, but Hey, they're, they're getting timely hits. Um, it, it doesn't help, or I guess it does help when you're playing the most analytically bullshit team. And, and that's the Rays. used to really respect them. I have, I have no respect for them anymore. Um, so that's where I'm at. I mean, I, I, think that, I think that, you know, I, if I were the Astros who, who presumably is going to win, hopefully they don't, hopefully the, the, the socks figure out the other socks, figure out a way. Um, I'd be fucking worried because you can't cheat this time.
2: <laughs> that's very true. Um, yes. Yeah, so you, you, you Have about, you seen the reports
0: saying about the
3: scandal that's coming out that they might be cheating again? Yeah, oh, there's, there's some pretty, talk about
2: that. Pretty interesting stuff there. We'll, 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 we'll get into that. Um, but yeah with uh, in terms of uh, tampa bay uh, you mentioned the kind of the over analytics um we kind of saw that in full effect here in the postseason. i mean i mean the, the race have been doing this for a long time kind of out of necessity because they're a team that you know they're not a high payroll team they have to play the game in a way that not a lot of teams um can because they kind of have to because they're you know and that, but the thing is that it's an organizational buy-in right everyone kind of buys into this system of where they play matchups they you know they they expect on offense and 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 and, and on, on on pitching they made it all the way to the world series last year um they won 100 games in, in the regular season doing it um this year obviously getting knocked out in the first round of the playoffs does not look that great you know i think a classic example was loop taking that grand slam off chris sale in the first inning and then getting pulled because a uh, right-hander went in uh for the game and loop being a right-hander you know matchy you'll that lefty righty matchup is what you want you know but it's the analytics versus the baseball field. Right. So like, what do you really do? You know, trading, do you, do you agree with the, how the Rays do this? Obviously they've been successful, but I think at times maybe it doesn't Should they, you know, it, it's kind of one of those, you blame it when it doesn't work. You, you uh, glorify it when it does work. So like kind of what's your thought on how the Rays do things.
0: Yeah. It, it, it shows that you're an amazing regular season team. Who here gives a shit about the regular season? As long as you make the playoffs, you better fucking do something with it. And they never fucking do. Guess what? Last week, last year, they did the same fucking shit and took out Blake Snell. Same fucking shit. The guy's rolling. Why stop? This guy just hit a a, a grand slam in the first fucking inning. You take him out? I don't, I don't. It doesn't even compute in my brain. I don't even. First of all, and I don't know baseball that much. I don't even believe in pitch counts. If the guy's rolling, just let him fucking roll. Like let him fucking go. Like like why, or disrupt. Why disrupt that? Like there, there, there's just something there that if the if a guy's feeling it and he's and he's throwing heat and he's fucking getting the in and, and he's fucking doing n- nothing wrong, why why disrupt that? Because as a player, you become confused. You're like, okay, so what the fuck am I supposed to do then? Like you have no idea if 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 it's good enough. Because it's all about the analytics. It's all about the numbers. And that's just not how sports is always like. And that's not how the postseason is always like. It's going to get you great numbers in the regular season, which is fine. Fuck, fuck the regular season. Maybe Tampa Bay should learn from their other Tampa Bay team. The regular season doesn't matter. Just get to the postseason and then do something with it. Don't be idiots. And they're idiots. And they deserve to be where they are.
2: Damn. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting the way that they they really over... They put a lot of their, you know, eggs in the basket on the analytics. You know, I think there's a healthy balance between the two. Sometimes the rates can be a little bit too analytical. And I think sometimes it comes in bites in the ass. You got a, a team like Boston that plays with so much heart and so much grit. And you got a manager and an organization there that believes in that kind of play. And that's why the Red Sox, I think, have advanced the next round because they got their dogs in there and they ride, like you said, they ride those guys, you know, uh, Nick, Pivetta there in game three and those extra innings. You know, that guy, not the greatest – pitcher ever he's okay he has his moments but he was he was he was rolling last night He just kept you just he just kept going out there shutting it down I think that's how you win a postseason baseball and the I think the Red Sox clearly are above that you know despite the 100 win raise and they're out Red Sox are still playing baseball um, so let's move on to the other American League division series going on right now it's the White Sox and the Astros uh, the game today game four got postponed uh due to rain so they'll be playing that tomorrow um, potentially, so the or the uh, Astros are up two to one in the series. Uh, the Astros won the first two games at home, uh, six to one, nine to four. The White Sox won a shootout last night, uh, twelve to six. Uh, so a very, very high-scoring series. Um, so Eric, I want to ask you: Do you like these high-scoring, uh, offensive kind of postseason games? Um, does you know does that draw you more in to watch more baseball when you see these scores like twelve to six, nine to four?
4: I mean, uh, you want to say the more scoring, the better, but, you know, as I've been sitting here watching this Dodgers Giants game tonight, it's actually pretty interesting. You know, it's just one, nothing. They keep getting close, but not close enough. So I don't know. It's, it's kind of that similar in the hockey world, you know, sometimes seeing a, a one, nothing game or a two, one's actually uh, more intriguing and interesting because there's a bunch of crazy saves that happen or posts that get hit, things like that. It's, I don't know. I'm, I'm mixed about it. Um, You know, just fuck the Astros.
2: Um, Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I kind of agree with you on, on both counts. Obviously, you know, I'm I'm this is probably the series I'm I've been least intrigued in a, because of the Houston Astros and, but B because the games haven't really been that close. Like there's been, you know, maybe the, for the first half of the game, it's, it's pretty close, but the last few innings though, it's like one team pulls ahead cause they score, you know, they put up a five spot in one inning and it kind of, it kind of just stays that way. And, you know, I guess like I, I, I do love offense, but I want good close postseason games. We haven't there hasn't really been any close games in this series yet. Um, so, Eric, so what do you think? You know, the there's two games left in the series. The White Sox, you know, they lost the first two. They have to win three in a row. They took care of business last night. Do you see this White Sox teams winning two more games to take the series from the Astros or do you think or do you think like the Astros are going to move on to face the Red Sox in the ALCS?
4: Um unfortunately the Astros are going to move on. It's just, even when the, if they are, or if they're cheating or not, who knows if they really are right now, they still might be, but these guys just find ways to win in the playoffs. You, you can't take that away from them, I guess. Um, so, you know, it's just, they have the, the experience. They still have a, some of those core guys that were there that, you know, were with them for those deep playoff runs. So they just continue to roll through teams. It's pretty scary, and I think they will be playing the Red Sox.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, I have to agree with you. And speaking of that, you know, cheating remark, the, the White Sox did accuse the Astros of cheating once again, no surprise. Um, I don't know if, if you guys kind of saw the quotes and all that stuff, but, you know, it was one of the White Sox relievers, you know, kind of citing how the Astros put up a lot more runs and hit a lot better at home versus what they did on the road. But it was kind of funny because if you really look at the stats, they're not that different. And the Astros still put up six runs on the road against the White Sox. The White Sox just put just doubled them up and put up and put up twelve. Um, you know, obviously the the Astros have, have, a, have a have a reputation, and they're going to be accused of this stuff for the foreseeable future. I don't know whether there's, there's stuff going on. The MLB says they're cracking down on it. I hope they are. I don't think there is actually cheating going on, but it's the Astros, so you never know. So you can, you can kind of take that as you want to take it. Um, so let's move on to the uh, the, the the National League. Uh, let's talk about the, uh, the Braves and Brewers first here. Um, this series, so we talked about the, the high scoring offense. This series is the exact opposite. There's been nine total runs combined scored in the first three games of the series. Um, it's been a pitching duel after pitching duel after pitching duel. It seems like the only way you can score runs in the seri- is series is by hitting the ball over the fence. Um, there's no kind of offensive rallies going on. Um, so the Braves won their second game in a row. Um, so they're currently up two to one on the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, they got game four tomorrow. So the Braves have the, have the possibility of being able to close out and advance to the championship series for the second consecutive season. Uh, so James, uh, you were covering this series for us. Uh, so we mentioned the, the high scoring offensive shootouts versus these, these pitchers, duels, these really close games, um, you know, compared to the offensive you know, games that you see in some of these um, um, American league games, do you like watching these pitchers' duels as you see in this uh, Braves and Brewers series?
3: I think it's super interesting considering the fact that during the season, the Braves had the fifth-highest batting average in the National League at uh, 244. They had the second-highest home run totals in the league at 239, and the third high, third in RBIs at 762. So the Braves are a pretty good offensive team. But on the pitching side of it, the Braves and the Brewers, We're third and fourth in lowest ERAs, respectively. Uh, The Brewers were at 3.5 and the Braves at 3.88. So offensively, the Braves are just really good. And on the pitching side of it, they're both about the same right there. So it's kind of crazy to see how this is playing out and how the Brewers are actually getting the Braves to play their game. But going back to the original question here, it's like it's way more suspenseful to have a low-scoring game, especially when it's not your team playing. And that's what I enjoy. So it's no longer anxiety-ridden for me. If this was the Angels in the postseason, I'd be shitting bricks, drinking a lot of alcohol and just trying to get through the game. But right now I'm watching these and I'm like, this is fun. This is cool. Close games, any one hit can make or break this team. It's exciting to see.
2: Yeah, I agree. I kind of like, you know, in postseason, those low-scoring games is – you know, some people can view that as boring, but I, it's, it's for me exciting because any inning you come into one swing makes the difference, right? It, 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 it could be a one, nothing game. Like you see right now going with Dodgers giants right now, one swing is, is making the difference. Um, and those are exciting. Those, those keep you on the edge of your seat for every single at bat because anything can change. So I personally like the, the, the low scoring pit, uh, pitchers duels. Um, I think it's super fun to watch this. This uh, Brewers brave series is really interesting. I think these are two very evenly matched teams. Um, However, you know, as you mentioned, the, the Braves, I think, have the advantage offensively and they have shown, they've shown it so far. They've been able to kind of break through that uh, really tough Brewers pitching staff when, when they need to, on the opposite end, the Brewers offense, you know, I kind of talked about it all year in my power rankings. They're not, they're kind of an ant offense, you know, they're definitely not an offense that you look at as a, as a championship caliber offense. And I think it's definitely showing they haven't scored, I think in 19 straight innings now or something crazy, um, So they got shut out in back-to-back games. They've scored both the runs on one swing of the bat. Um, So, James, you know, so the Brewers are down 2-1. to They're going to be on the road uh, tomorrow in Atlanta. They're playing for their lives right now. Do you see the Brewers offensively being able to score enough to win two straight games and advance to the NLCS?
3: I I definitely don't think so. Uh, Let's just look. During the season here, they were the second lowest in batting average in the NL at 233. And that season OPS of seven thirteen, which is eleven out of fifteen teams in NL. So it's hard for me to believe that they're going to turn around for these next two games when their one hundred and sixty-two game sample size says otherwise. They've scored two runs in three games. Nobody in the Brewers has more than two hits. There's this this ain't happening. And I mean, like going back to it, the Braves have a really good pitching staff as well in the bullpen and the starting lineup. Like they're they're going to be hard to hit off of. And if they can't match that with their offensive intensity, they're not winning this. The Braves are moving on.
2: Yeah, I have to agree with you. I just, I don't see how this Brewers team is going to be able to put up enough runs. And, you know, as great as the Brewers pitching staff is, you know, this Braves pitching staff ain't too shabby either. You know, uh, they've definitely come on strong the second half of the season and have definitely proved themselves to be a very good, uh, formidable pitching opponent. So I think matchup wise, I think they match up well against this, this, this Brewers team. And I, I think that it's going it's, to, I, I think they're going to close yeah. it out tomorrow. Um, I, I I think the race will advance, um, but you know it's postseason baseball. Never know what'll happen. Uh, so let's move on to the final series here. the 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 best the best the Dodgers and Giants. First time that these historic rivals have met in the postseason. Uh, so far, I think it's lived up to the hype. I mean, incredible crowds, incredible atmosphere on both parks. Um, so game one, start off in San Francisco. The Giants shut out the Dodgers for nothing. Logan Webb pitched an absolute gem. The Dodgers had no answer for him all night. Uh, Buster Posey hit one into McCovey Cove in the first inning. Classic, classic game. Uh, game two, Dodgers bounce back. Uh, they put up nine runs against the, the Giants. Uh, Cody Bellinger, who's been struggling all season, came up huge with the bases loaded double um, here in game three. It's what's going on right now we're in the top of the ninth inning. It's one nothing Giants. So we're back to a, back to a pitcher's duel. Uh, so it's been it's been quite a good game against Scherzer and uh, Alex Wood, with the were the two starters and now the bullpens are battling out. Both are shutting it down. It's it's really really close here. So. Uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe by the end of the podcast, we'll have an answer for you on who wins game three. Um, but Alex, uh, well, first of all, I want to ask you about the uh, the, the wildcard game that Chris Taylor walk off home runs, just kind of your uh, emotions after that one.
1: Uh, I believe the first words I said were bring on the fucking Giants, I think. And it was probably at a louder decibel than normal people would do. Uh, <laughs> great. It was a great game. Um, Scherzer didn't have it um you know he was kind of all over the place bullpen was insane but yeah Chris Taylor like the second he hit it I knew it was gone um I think pretty much everyone knew that right away um I mean Alex Reyes just hung that slider and you know a professional hitter, if it gets contact that's going a long way so that was a fun game uh, quite nerve-wracking um I don't think I sat, sat down for the final like bottom of the ninth so after he hit after he hit the homer that was nice sit down again you know
2: yeah that <laughs> that game was not good for my health um <laughs> that's for sure but I for me it was like I kind of had the same reaction I was like let's like you know let's take the Giants on like I was just so happy that they're able to win that game so we could get this Dodgers Giants series um so how great is it seeing these two teams finally meet in the postseason is it living up to the hype are you are you into it as much as you thought you would uh Kenley Jansen just struck out uh Brandon Croft here to end the ninth so we're going to He's the bottom so of ninth good now Dude, <laughs> Jansen's the man. I've been telling you Dodger fans all season. He is the man.
0: Yeah. You, the rest of your fans are fucking stupid. Remember yeah, that? Yeah. All
2: right. Yeah. So we're going to the bottom of the ninth. It's one-nothing. So we'll see what happens here. But yeah, Alex, Dodgers Giants postseason. Living up to the hype?
1: Yeah. Oh, 100 percent Um, I mean, obviously that first game went the Giants' way. Logan Webb throws an absolute gem. Dodgers bats just couldn't get going. They come back, uh, you know, game two. Julio O'Reilly with the first knock to get the first run on you know don't fucking intentionally walk to get to julio that's all i'm saying silver slugger could possibly be in his future for this season um it is living up to the hype i'm bottom of the ninth coming up obviously we really need a run so (laughs) yeah (laughs) hard to focus on whatever you're saying right now
2: yeah pretty (laughs) uh pretty well his daughter's offense zero runs game one nine runs game two so far, Sierra runs, game three, very, very inconsistent, but uh, nonetheless, great, great series, super fun. I'm loving the the rivalry, the atmospheres on both sides. It's it's absolutely, uh, it's 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 super fun to watch. I think no matter what happens, I'm gonna be excited that we actually got to experience this um, in in our lifetime. But as a Dodgers fan, obviously, we want the Dodgers to win. So hopefully, we we get that we get that ninth inning comeback here, or a series comeback, depending if the if the Giants do take this game three. So Alex, how do you see? the rest of the series playing out as we're heading to the bottom of ninth here in game three, you know, the Dodgers are on the on the verge of uh, being down two to one in the series. Um, obviously game five, if that does happen in, in San Francisco, how do you see this uh, playing out here?
1: Yeah. If the Dodgers don't come back and win, I think it's, I feel like it's going to game five. I just think the Dodger bats are too good at home. Hopefully it's not super windy tomorrow, which has been a really weird kind of aspect of this game. Um, I just, I just don't think the giants can put them down like in back-to-back games. Obviously we saw that in San Francisco, they couldn't do it in back-to-back games. So if they don't come back, um, I think it's going five. If they do come back, I think they're going to win tomorrow. I think you ride that high, you come in, you're at home, you, you know, you fire it up. And if not like kudos to the giants, if the giants do end up winning this series, they've been an amazing story all year I really don't want to say this cuz I don't want the Giants to win the World Series, but it kind of feels like whoever wins this series is winning it all. Like it's kind of felt that way all season. These have been easily the two best teams all season. I mean, you know what? This like a Braves team or this Red Sox team, you know, they're they're riding high and we've seen, you know, we've seen teams under, you know, underperform during the regular season and then get hot and go through the postseason, but it kind of feels like one of these two teams is going to win it. Um, especially if tonight, the Dodgers feel like they're lurking. Like, honestly, they played a better game than the giants have Scherzer threw one bad pitch. He had 10 Ks. If it wasn't for Brandon Crawford being the best defensive shortstop in baseball, the Dodgers probably have like four runs already. Um, yeah. and like Steven Duggar made a nice catch. I don't know. Bottom of the ninth. Let's just, we'll see what happens, but yeah,
2: <laughs> just got started. Chris Taylor's up to bat right now. So uh, we'll see what happens. So we're going to end it now. So we can kind of focus on this bomb and ninth inning. Um, but yeah, that's all I got. So we'll see what happens guys. Um, obviously next this time next week, we'll, we will have the championship series set. So we will see where we're at, but let's just hope for more great postseason baseball uh, one out in the bomb in ninth. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, that's all I got for, 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 for this week for baseball.
4: Thank you, Tyler. Uh, baseball is interesting now, guys. It is finally the playoffs, uh, not the long, strenuous season. The marathon is somewhat over, but the marathon continues. Uh, now it's part of the sprint, which is the end of the marathon for baseball. Oh, um, what? <laughs> there we go, Trey. <laughs> I got you. Um, yeah, James looked at me like I was an idiot. Trey and agreed with me. Um, Have you run a marathon, a lot, bro? So... Like
3: you don't sprint at the end of a marathon. You can't if, if you want to win the marathon. <laughs> You're just trying to live, bro. Have you seen Tyler try to run a mile?
0: Look, we're not, that's, talking that's about, we're, like, we're not talking about peasants like us. We're talking like Olympics. Like those guys <laughs> are like trying to win something.
4: Oh my God. Uh, the giants, two players almost Whoa. literally just fell into the crowd. Um, but anyways, uh, one more segment, uh, after we return last, but not least, James, will go over our waiver wire. Um, and fuck fantasy we'll be back <laughs> everybody we are back last but not least the NFL waiver wired is week five is, has concluded um, fuck fantasy once again that'll be the last time I say it on this podcast for tonight James what's up man <laughs>
3: I think you might say multiple more times. But we'll see. Just a quick rundown for what happened this last weekend. Uh, I won and I improved to three and two. Alex won big against Traden in a come from behind win. Alex is now two and three and Traden is now three and two. Tyler lost by maybe 60 points. Was it even close?
1: 20 points.
3: So Tyler goes to two and only lost by 20. Three. How many points? 20. Oh, wow. Only 20 points. I was wrong. Still lost. <laughs> He's still two and three at the end of the day. Still and enough. Eric a.k.a. Fuck Fantasy Eric, lost once again. He improves or gets worse to 0-5, and (laughs) a.k.a. worse than the league, so far. (laughs) Uh, Going into this week six, I believe, uh, teams on by, Atlanta Falcons, New Orleans Saints, San Francisco 49ers, thank God, and New York Jets. Starting off with a quarterback position here, I picked Trevor Lawrence to be my quarterback streamer of the week. He's owning 42.9% of leagues. He put up 21.7 points on 23 completions on 33 attempts, 273 yards, one touchdown, one interception, seven carries, 28 yards, and one touchdown. He's getting better and better each and every week, and he's getting more comfortable. You can see that from the get-go. And he does have a lot of rushing upside because in the last two games, he's had a rushing touchdown. Up next, he plays the Miami Dolphins, and they were not the defense that we expect them to be at all. He gave up five touchdown passes to Tom Brady. And yes, Tom Brady is really good. But overall, for the entirety of the season, they're the 30th worst team against the pass. They've given up an average of 305 yards per game. And they're the fifth worst defense against fantasy quarterbacks who give up an average of 22 points per game. So, Eric, what do you think about Trevor Lawrence?
4: Uh, he's doing okay. I mean, for being on the Jaguars and losing every game, he's not doing terrible. However, it is nice to see the top college player who barely ever lost before, along with fuckhead Urban Meyer, lose every game so far. So two guys that always felt the taste of winning, winning the big games, are now feeling the taste of losing every fucking game. Um, But guess what? Fantasy wise, you know, he's done well three out of the five weeks in our league. He's put up. 19.08 points, 17.76 points, and 21.72 this past weekend. So I guess fantasy-wise, he's three for five uh, so far. I mean, I got Kyler Murray, who did dog shit this week. This was the first time he did that. If he would have done good, I probably would have actually won this week. So do I pick him up? I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Todd, what do you think, man?
2: Uh yes, I mean he's not a bad option, but hey, I think there's a couple other fantasy quarterbacks out there that I think might be a little bit better. Uh, Matt Ryan, for example, remember that? Remember Matt Ryan? You know, this this guy was was a stud, you know, and he's only owned in thirty about thirty percent of leagues. Um, had a rough couple first two weeks, but since week two, he's thrown eight touchdowns, zero interceptions, and and has averaged twenty two points. Um, you know, Trevor Lawrence in that in that time frame has only averaged fourteen points he's a little bit more boomer bust. Right. So I think rat rat Ryan, you know, after the slow start in those last three weeks, I've shown a little bit more consistency. I think he's been playing a lot better and he's proven to be a very good fantasy quarterback. Um, Obviously not the same Matt Ryan as maybe a few years ago, not on the same good of a team as the Falcons, but neither is Trevor Lawrence. He's not on a very good team either. So I think you're, you're, you're kind of picking from, from quarterbacks that aren't on super great teams, but I, for me, Matt Ryan is more reliable. And as I mentioned, I think just, he's showing that I think he's starting to, you know, kind of have more of a better fantasy um, production the, the, the last few weeks here. So I will look at uh, Matt Ryan. I
3: like that. We've to the running back position. I picked Devontae Booker from the New York Giants, the New York football Giants, owning 3.8% of leagues. He put up 20.8 points last week, 16 carries for 42 yards and a touchdown, and also added three receptions for 16 yards and a touchdown. Saquon Barkley, I don't know if you guys saw his ankle, but it blew up. He is out for two to four weeks at a minimum, might be even a little bit longer than that. And also Daniel Jones might also be out, which means the Giants will run the ball way more. Or they'll pass it to, you know, a short little curl route or a post route to Devontae Booker out of the running back position, out of the slot. Devontae Booker is going to get a lot of work. Up next, they play the Rams. And yes, I understand that is a tough defense. But Booker is literally the only offensive option at this point. Like I'd mentioned, Daniel Jones' concussion may or may not be back. Barkley's going to be out. Kenny Galladay's out to week six with a knee injury. Darius Slayton has a hamstring injury. And Sterling Shepard also has a hamstring injury. So, really, he's going to get a lot of points because he is the only guy. And he's going to get all the work. 100% of snaps, all the targets, all the carries. Devontae Book is the dude. Tyler, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I agree with you for all for all the reasons you said. You know, Not exactly a household name, but he's on a team right now a lot of injuries. You know, it's kind of their only option. They're obviously going to fill those, those, those holes with other guys. But, I mean, you don't know what we're going to get from them. You know, I, I, think, I think Booker put up a great uh, a week last week. I think he's proven that he can step in there and, and, and fill in. Um, and I think during that time when he's, when he's going to be that RB1, I think he's a great pickup. I think, especially for me, while I'm struggling to find a second running back on my team, like I'm, I'm, I'm probably looking at this guy right now um, to be a more consistent guy that, that I can rely on. Because it seems like every time I pick up someone or put someone in my lineup, they do shit. The guy I bench goes off for a crazy amount of points. So I'm struggling finding a running back. So I might pick this guy up. We'll see. Uh, and hopefully he can do well for me for at least a couple of weeks. Because God damn it, I'm sick and tired of talking about running backs because they, <laughs> there's like there's like five decent running backs in the league, and like everyone else is like you, you don't know what the fuck you're gonna get. So I don't know what I don't know what to
3: do. <laughs> Welcome to fantasy Football,
0: yep. Jaden. What do you think?
2: I like your pick. I got a better one, but I like your All pick. Right.
0: Okay. Let's hear Daryl Williams is going to be leading the running back core in, uh, with the chiefs, um, with, uh, with our boy, um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire being out at least for next week. Look, I like the offense for the chiefs a hell of a lot better than I like the giants. I like the offensive line better. I like the, I like the, all, all, all that's going on there. Um, to be fair, they are playing a, a, well, what I thought initially was a um, was a very good um, Washington football team defense has kind of coming off the off the cliff a little bit. They've been kind of in the decline, in my opinion, and I I think I talked about it a couple weeks ago. Look, we're, you're also playing you're also playing on a you're also leading the back of a team that just got, in my opinion, embarrassed in their own in their own barn on Sunday night football. Those guys, the, the, these guys are going to be so hungry. And we, we know the chiefs have one of the best offenses in the league. That's, that's a given. Um, and the fact that they got completely fucked, like fucked last game last night, they, they're going to be hungry to come back and get back and get back in the group of things against a team that is, you know, eh, to me. So I think Daryl Williams is a big, is a big pickup. Um, just given the fact that you got a very, very strong offensive line, you have a very strong um, offense to be, the one thing that, you know, Devonte Booker probably has over him is the fact that, to your point, he's going to be on every single snap. He's going to be the only person that they have. But I just don't know if if the offensive line is going to be good enough to give him what he needs. That's all.
3: Well, I like that pick, to be fair, to make myself feel better. I did send these picks up before C.H. got injured. So yep, it's that's my sauce Yeah. <laughs> uh moving on to the wide receiver position here. I picked Rondell Moore out of Arizona. He's owned in 38.2% of leagues. He put up 14.7 points, uh, five catches on six targets for 59 yards. Also added three carries for 38 yards. He's basically the number two, slash number three receiver on that team after uh DeAndre Hopkins. And he's fighting with AJ Green, who is washed. Eric. AJ Green has not scored one touchdown yet, dude. So it looks like fifty bucks will become my wife relatively soon. You start off I mean? <laughs> fifty bucks that AJ Green would have eight touchdowns.
4: <laughs> well, it's he's on the so podcast, got, you know, a lot more time. <laughs> he does have a lot more time. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't
3: think it'll be it'll happen. Uh, Rondell Moore started off strong with thirteen targets in the first two games. He's kind of fallen off that a little bit, uh, but the, he had six targets against the 49ers this last weekend. The Cardinals' offense is extremely explosive and the defenses will typically shade towards either doubling DeAndre Hopkins or stacking the box against Kyler Murray which more often than not leave Rondell Moore to be wide open and it's clear that Cliff Kingsbury likes Rondell Moore because he's been giving him carries on top of having him get targets so it's just trying to get the ball into a playmaker's hands and what you do you run him or you pass him the ball Up next, they play the Cleveland Browns, who's typically a good defense, but they just gave up almost 400 yards through the air and four touchdowns to the Chargers. Could be suspect. Who knows? Alex, what do you think?
1: Well, yeah, so they are playing the Browns next week, who are, you know, got kind of the defense kind of got destroyed by Justin Herbert, you know, possible MVP candidate. Uh, Unfortunately, they're playing also against Kyler Murray, who's probably the MVP candidate right now. Um, So pick up Rondell Moore. Um, I think he's the number two above A.J. Green, above Christian Kirk. They use him all over the field. He's incredibly quick. And obviously, Kyler Murray is having a hell of a season to start. I don't see why this can't continue against this Cleveland Browns defense, who, you know, we all assumed would be really, really good. But just like you said, they just gave up a ton of points and a ton of yards to the Chargers, who, you know, granted, Justin Herbert is playing out of his mind right now, but Rondell Moore seems like a guy who is going to get a lot of targets runs should have you know a couple touchdowns not every game obviously but we'll get into the end zone pick him up Eric what do you think
4: yeah so I had him uh claimed him off waivers kept him <laughs> for one week and then dropped him um didn't play him once also because you know he uh He had like, uh, I think it was week three, he went off, he scored like 24 points. And then I pick him up, I play him. Um, I sat Kareem Hunt that week. Kareem Hunt had 30 (laughs) points. And then uh, Rondell Moore had six points. That's probably on me, not on Rondell Moore, but I dropped him. No grudges held against him. But yeah, I actually do agree with Alex. I think he's on the uprise in the fantasy world. And he's about three for five um, so far. He's got 10.8 one week, 24.4. And then la- last week or yesterday, 14.7. It's kind of weird, though. It's just it's up to Kyler Murray if he just dishes it off to him. Um, Kyler Murray is finding him a lot in the red zone area. So, yeah, he could be a good pickup. I already dropped him, though. So I think it's bad luck to pick up somebody twice. I don't know.
3: How about you try it and figure it out? Maybe it'll just turn your luck around. And you finally win one game. I might give up. Lose. Got nothing to lose. Yeah, seriously, man. You're at the bottom of the barrel there. Moving on to the tight end position, we got Hunter Henry out of New England. He's owned in 35.6% of leagues. He put up 19.5 points on six receptions from eight targets for 75 yards and a touchdown. Tight end and pass-catching running backs are pretty much the quarter, a rookie quarterback's best friend, and that's exactly what Hunter Henry is. He was a great pass-catching tight end when he was with the Chargers. He was their number one guy after Antonio Gates left, and he's as of late, he's kind of had a ton of injury and had COVID to begin the season, but he's finally getting back into it, and you can see the comfortability level of him, and we all know that Billick loves his tight ends. Gronk, Aaron Hernandez, like Billick likes to throw it short and look for his tight ends in the end zone, and Hunter Henry is a good pass catcher and a good blocker. So far this season, he's averaging five to six targets per game, which is great for a tight end because typically tight ends are just touchdown dependent, but this guy, he gets targets. He gets yards and touchdowns. Um, and he's also had a touchdown in back-to-back games right now. Up next, he plays Dallas, which we all know is not a good defense. Dallas just gets into shootouts like no other. They give up an average of fifteen points at the tight end position. So
0: Hunter Henry looks like a really damn good pick. Traden, what do you think? Yeah, man. I mean, look, Henry and Jonu Smith. We're going to go back, back, you know, back and forth on who's going to take that. Who's going to take that uh, starting t- uh, tight end spot? Henry's turning the corner. He's, he's the guy right now. Um, He's broken the 30 yard barrier in all games this season. It's huge for a tight end. And again, you have, you have QB, you have QB Mac Jones, who's really starting to come into his own. He's, he's improving. I mean, he's not, he's not blowing off like uh, um, Justin Herbert, you know, in his rookie season, but you do, you, you are seeing Hunter Henry, you know, be that, Security blanket that Mac Jones needs, and he's going to continue to be as the, you know, he's going to continue to get those touches. You're playing the Cowboys and then the Jets. Like, talk about a sexy pickup, juicy pickup, pick them up if you need a tight end. Because, wow, you're gonna get points! Oh, love it,
3: Alex. Your tight end just went off for 40 points, man. What do you think about Hunter Henry though?
1: <laughs> I like Hunter Henry. I just think there's a lot of pass catchers that get a lot, and that's part of the Belichick offense. It was under Tom Brady, and it still is under Mac Jones. Everyone gets involved. And Dallas is 4-1. and Their defense is not as terrible as it was last year. It's definitely picking up. Um, So I can understand if you want to go get them. Um, I'm going to go kind of out on a limb here and go Zach Ertz as someone to look at. He's obviously been a very incredible tight end in the past. They are playing the Bucs. But the Bucs have a have a great defense, but because their run defense is so incredibly good, teams pass on them a whole lot. Jalen Hurts is having a great year. Dallas Goddard, I think, is questionable coming into this game. Watch out for Zach Ertz; He might have a blow-up blow up game. Or he'll have zero points. It's one of the two. <laughs>
3: <laughs> going big, going home. Zach Ertz is not a name I've heard in a very long time. Like that pick. Eric, that is my segment, man. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope this helps.
4: Thank you, James. Um, Who knows if I'm going to listen any more about anything in fantasy, I may just give up uh, because I've been trying to be active as possible and look where that's gotten me. Maybe it'll help. Um, It's, it's kind of what Alex did last year. I think he stopped looking at his lineup and he won like three games in a row. So I might pull that same maneuver. Um, But yeah, uh, other than that, everyone, that's what we got for you tonight. Episode 68 in the books. Um, Just as always, you know, thank you for listening. If you're walking down the street and you see a random person that thinks they they may need to know know more about sports and pop culture, take their phone from them, uh, (laughs) open it, unlock it, and then uh, follow us on their podcast app um, or just spread it by word of of mouth either way. But uh, yeah, we appreciate all you guys for listening, all the feedback, and we will continue to bring it upon you guys with all the information.